Maybe? Thinking about it? Okay, good. And we're going to collect our offering, so if uh, we have those who would collect the offering for tonight, if you would go ahead and start that. Looking for volunteers. That's how we do it. We're real. Real organized. On the fly. Yeah, so a couple things. Um, picnic August 3rd is when we're um, trying to do the uh, picnic between Sherland and New Life. We will probably be at Sherland, although I'm still talking to them. Uh, we're in that kind of strange phase. They're still saying goodbye to their pastor, um, still ending the ministry of 11 years there. Uh, so I don't want to kind of rush in and, and do things before that ends July 1st, or we start in July 1st. Um, but trying to set as much of that up as possible. Uh, we're going to try to confirm a date for our golf play day. Uh, but yes, we are trying to collect prizes um, and collect names of people who are interested in playing. It will most likely be at Swan Hill, an 18-hole course. Um, we will try to have a lot of different prizes. Um, we haven't decided if we're going to just charge a little bit more um, than it would cost you to play or if we're going to try to just have things throughout the day to get some money for it from you for um, uh, the fundraising event, how those, if you golf, you know how those uh, events work. So um, just keep, keep in mind that we're going to do that. And if you, uh, you golf or your friends golf, that's a great way to connect them to our ministry, uh, but a good way to fundraise for New Life and Imagine No Malaria as well. Uh, and then Family Fun Fest is going to be a, a McChesney Park day uh, with a whole bunch of music in it um, on the 26th. Uh, so uh, we should be there, and um, I believe the quartet's going to be there, and a whole bunch of other groups that some of you probably know and some of you may not, uh, all throughout the day. So when we get the finalized schedule of that, um, we'll let you know all about that. So, All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer um, as we transition to our forming time. Let us pray. Lordy, thank you for this wonderful day, this opportunity to... Uh, be in and not be tempted to uh, be out and uh, enjoying the, our beautiful summer. We ask that you uh, just allow us to worship you in glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving. We ask that you send your spirit upon us, that you open our hearts and our minds to uh, continue to ask these questions, continue to uh, delve into important topics and confusing topics, uh, but most of all, to bring us closer together and closer to your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. We thank you and pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, welcome once again to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, the teaching pastor here, and we want to welcome all those joining us online uh, and through our podcast. Uh, we've had more and more joining us in that way, and so welcome all of you who are listening online. Now, we are in our series, Love Wins, and over the last two weeks, we have talked about some pretty heavy issues. We've talked about the current and future realities of heaven and hell. Uh, we've, most of all, asked a lot of questions. That's been kind of the theme of this series, not necessarily coming out with uh, here's the answer to very complex issues, but really saying what are the kind of questions that we need to be asking. Uh, we kind of live in this world where we don't ask questions anymore, and that's a very modern or, or postmodern, I guess if you're, you're looking at our timeline, very postmodern kind of idea that we just kind of take things um, at face value while at the same time just trusting everything. So it's kind of a very interesting age that we live in. So today I want to keep asking questions, especially around the topic of salvation. We've been talking about heaven or hell. The issue of salvation really is who gets in. 
So I went to the place where all people get their knowledge these days, the internet. And I looked at three local congregations and what their uh, belief statements were on the issue of salvation in the future. And these are not small congregations. I did not go and find, not that small, weird congregations would have websites, but I did not go find like strange kind of marginalized uh, Christian uh, churches. I went to some churches that you will recognize. So here's our first statement. This is on their website under what we believe. Uh, interestingly enough, always at the end of that long section, what we believe. Always at the very end. Death seals the eternal destiny of each person. For all mankind, there will be a resurrection of the body into the spiritual world and a judgment that will be determined, uh, that will determine the fate of each individual. Here's the important line. Unbelievers will be separated from God into condemnation. God's judgment will reveal his justice in consigning them to perpetuate in eternal retribution their own rejection of God. I understood like three words in that sentence. So you can go online and figure that out. I don't have any idea what that sentence meant. Believers will be received into eternal communion with God, I understand that, and will be rewarded for works done in this life. And that is from our brothers and sisters at Heartland Community Church. Our second statement of belief, we believe in and expectantly await, I like that, the glorious, visible, personal, premillennial, we had a conversation about that on Wednesday, return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of his return has vital bearing on our personal life service and the mission of the believer. Here's our salvation statement. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath in hell. The saved will be raised to eternal joy and in the new heaven and the new earth in manifested presence of God. And that's from our friends at Harvest Bible Chapel. Third and finally, we believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment, and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. I, I did not add the amen that was in there. And that is from our friends at First Evangelical Free Church of Rockford, three of the largest churches, obviously, in our community. And this is what they believe about salvation. We don't have a what we believe statement on the New Life website um, because, uh, I guess, I don't know uh, why we don't have that. But uh, you can go to the United Methodist Church and see one of some of the things that we believe. And if you look at for this kind of stuff, what you're going to see is we believe a lot of things. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So in this first statement, and I have the kind of emphasis here I want to look at, in the first, separ- uh, first statement, unbelievers will be separated from God. Okay? Then in the second statement, they're going to experience eternal wrath in hell. So now we've gotten a little more concise about what's going to happen. You know, separation can mean a lot of things. Eternal wrath in hell, a little more particular. Uh, but in our third, our evangelical brothers and sisters, the unbeliever will be condemned 
to eternal conscious punishments. In case you were afraid that they weren't really going to feel it while they were being punished, they will be conscious and it will be forever. All this on websites that start with welcome to our church. I don't mean to make fun of any of that. That's real stuff and we can believe any of that stuff. All that's good theology or at least theology that's, that's believed by many, many people. The thing that I want us to think about is on these same websites where we have these statements, we hear about a God, and this is from the websites as well, a God who is sovereign, powerful, wise, all-knowing, and good. In addition, a couple of the statements I want to lift up about God. God has redemptive purposes in mind. That was from one of these websites. And another one, God desires to call all people into fellowship with Himself. So we have these two things happening here on these faith statements on these websites. God who is powerful, wise, and all-knowing, who rules over all creation, who desires redemption and union with all people. Will that God be content with billions of people suffering in hell forever? Now, if you think about it for more in a second, that seems a little bit paradoxical. And I think it begs this question, the question we're going to ask tonight. Does God get what God wants? Now, before we actually dig into that question, we have to understand and affirm who God is. The Apostle Paul says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's from 1 Timothy this isn't a whim. God has the power to make that a reality. The psalm, psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all people who live on its land. Not only that, but God claims us. God calls us sons and daughters. God adopts us into the kingdom. And it's not just a special few. It's not a chosen group. Paul writes again, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That comes from Ephesians 3. God created us. God loves us. God wants to call us sons and daughters. God wants all people to be saved over and over and over again. From Genesis to Revelations, we hear a cry and a desire, not just from the people of earth, but from God Himself saying, I want all people. All people. Not just a few. The prophet Ezekiel exclaims, the nations will know that I am the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says, all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our Lord, our God. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, every knee should bow, every tongue will know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is loving, God is powerful, God is merciful, God who is Father, God who desires all people, all nations, every knee, every tongue to come to the truth and to be saved. This is the picture of God we see. We see Jesus talk about this God as the God who is like a woman who lost a coin and frantically searches for it. This is the God who is like a shepherd who had 99 sheep and one of them went lost and he searches for that sheep, leaving the others behind. This is the God who rejoices 
when his arrogant, prideful son, who is dead, returns. This is the image of God that comes from our Scripture. Yes, Todd. I think I think we're going to get to that. So that's a good question. Yes. Yeah. So do you get that picture of God from the Bible? God of scripture, God of Jesus. So why would that God be content with the majority of humanity? And if you kind of go from some of these uh, belief statements, you have to believe that the majority of humanity living and who have ever lived fall into that category, one of those categories, right? Why would that God be content with everyone suffering? If God wants all of us, why do these three very large, powerful churches proclaim that God won't redeem us all? That God will not get what God wants? Now here's a few perspectives. Uh, Perspectives that have been held for years, (laughs) some recently and some for centuries. Now the first uh, perspective is uh, quite common in, in our modern world, that we get one life to live and choose God. Now that's all about freedom. God gave us free will. God gave us brains that allowed us to make decisions. God did that because God loves us. Because we shouldn't be slaves. We have the ability to choose. Therefore, we have the ability to choose good. We have the ability to choose evil and the freedom to choose God's way or our own way. The first perspective holds that if you do not make that decision in this life, why would you make it after life? What makes you think that a person living an entire life on earth who vehemently rejects God would someday in eternity accept God? Therefore, this is your chance. This is your life, and that's it. God's desire is for all people to be saved, but God doesn't force the issue. God loves us enough to let us choose. That's the first perspective. The second perspective, God uh, holds that God is so good that there must be a second chance. And I think this is probably where our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church fall in their belief of purgatory that there must be some other place after you die that allows you a chance to accept Jesus Christ now those chances aren't unlimited but there is a process for it because certainly God is good enough to make that happen certainly God is good enough for a second chance God has the power to give it maybe God is going to live and allow people to make that choice after life. So that's another perspective. There's another perspective. This perspective holds that if God would give one chance, why wouldn't God give endless chances? Why wouldn't God take as long as it takes to bring everyone in to the fold to make God's desire, salvation of all people, a reality? This perspective says that in time all people will come to God. Now, you may think that's a radical and new perspective, but this perspective is as old, if not older, than the other two. 
St. Peter, Peter the disciple, Rocky, as we call him sometimes, said Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things, about which God spoke long ago through his holy prophets. That's in Acts chapter 3, verse 21. All things restored. All things renewed. This is referred to as the apocastasis. That's another fun party word, in case you go to really bad parties, I guess. No, who, who goes to parties that talk... Pastor parties, we go talk about Greek. Um, but that's the Greek word for renewal or restoration, the apocastasis. And this is as early as certainly St. Peter, but we see all of the early 3rd and 4th century Christian fathers and mothers talk about a renewal of all things. Clement, Origen, uh, Justin, uh, a whole bunch of great theologians, the people who, who formed the Nicene Creed and formed the uh, uh, Creed of Ephesus, these creeds that... Uh, have, have stood for thousands of years now, they believed that one day all people would be reunited to God. And, the, and the, the really the, the uh, reality behind that is something that we read earlier. That restoration brings glory to God. Suffering and eternal, eternal hell does not. So who's right? I think this is the good news. Serious and faithful, wise and devout brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ have held all three of these perspectives for 2,000 years. In fact, if you believe one of these three things, if you believe something maybe in between, if you believe something completely different, very likely a very serious Christian or an entire denomination or an entire group of Christians has believed something about this topic very similar to what you believe throughout human history. Is that a problem? I don't really think so. We're talking about things that are grander than human scale. We're talking about salvation and eternity and things outside of what we know about. We're talking about things that are new. We're going to read from Revelations. God is making all things new. God doesn't return things to the way they were. So we don't know what that's going to look like. So we can be a little confused. We can debate about it a little bit. We cannot have all the right answers and still be okay. But we also need to remember something else. Some stories are better than other stories. Nobody wants to go pay money and see the hero die without purpose, without a chance for resurrection. Talked about that on Easter. No one goes to pay and see a romantic comedy, although I've seen a couple over the course of the years, where people don't fall in love. There's a couple out there. They're not very good. <clears throat> we want good to win. We want love to to win. And so when we look at the end of the story, doesn't it make sense that a lot of people, human people, over the course of history would desire for all people to be brought into this good new thing? Now, I'm not saying we can't believe in hell. I'm not saying I don't believe in hell. I'm not saying that hell doesn't go on and on forever. I'm saying that in my heart, I hope it doesn't. But we're going to talk about that too. 
in the second. Todd, you're always, you're always one step ahead of me, buddy. We're, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. So I want us to keep asking these questions, keep looking at these things. And as we continue to think about it, I want to look at the end. I want to look at Revelations and read what the uh, writer John gave us, the vision that we cling to. Revelations 21, uh, 1 through 8. I just have some parts of it written up there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is here among humanity. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be there with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain. For the former things have passed away. Then the one seated at the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. All this is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. To those who emerge victorious, they will inherit these things. I will be their God. They will be my sons and daughters. For the cowardly, the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual morality, those who use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters and all the liars, their share will be in a lake that burns, fire and sulfur. And this is the second death. Now John, who wrote this, uh, or had this vision and wrote it down, or his, his church wrote it down. He was a real person, a pastor, who had a real congregation, who lived in a real time, in a real place. A congregation who was uh, going under immense suffering because of the oppression of the Roman Empire. By this time in our story of Christianity, Rome decided that Christians may be too much of a threat. They weren't just another sect of Judaism. They were something else, and they needed to be put down. So he's living through a lot of hell on earth, very truthfully. And this is a heavenly, heavenly, <laughs> heavily and heavenly, symbolic and even coded text. And it was coded for a reason, because John was sending this out. This was sent out to churches. And it was coded to escape views of Rome or, or to uh, be overlooked by Roman guards who would confiscate it and read it before it continued to go on. So we have to be careful always when we come to Revelations and realize there's about a billion things happening in this text. But this is the imagery that we hold and we cling to about the last day. This is really some of the few things we have about it besides the parables of Jesus. There's a new heaven, a new earth, a city where God dwells among humanity. And here's the important thing which Brother Todd brought up. The city has no place for evil. If God is totally, or God is totally perfect and totally good, that God cannot exist or coexist with evil. You cannot be totally good and be, uh, or, or have evil in your presence. I think with that in mind, we need to ask another question. In the face of perfect good, in the face with this beautiful city, in this beautiful future, 
who would continue to choose evil? Unfortunately, I think we see the answer to that question every day. I think we see people choose evil every single day. People choose their own hell every single day. Every time an alcoholic picks up a drink, every time a, a gambling addict, I put gambler in here and then I realized I should say someone who's addicted to gambling, every time they walk into a casino, every time someone who's addicted to pornography opens their computer, they're choosing to remain in their personal hell. How many times have you said something cruel and awful, that one thing, to the person you proclaim to love the most? Something hurtful because you were hurt, because you were angry. We cannot deny our free will, our brains that we've been given. We have the freedom to choose, and some people choose hell over and over and over again. But let's keep reading. Revelations uh, 21, chapter 20, or verse 25, 27. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will never be a night. They will bring glory and honor to all the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is vile and deceitful, but only those who are registered in the Lamb's scroll of life. Again, I don't want to read too much into a very symbolic book. But I think there's a detail in here that's pretty important. The gates to the city are never closed. We have pictures in our head of both heaven and hell with gates. And the people who lived in the time of Jesus had pictures of cities with gates. We have less and less of those these days. But here, this new city has gates that are never closed. It's a very interesting picture. Could we be getting a glimpse of a city with God who is completely evil and outside or, or, or unable to enter all of the evil, God who is good, the evil cannot enter? Can we get a picture here of evil not being able to enter the city, but no one's being shut out. Could we have a vision here of a God who can keep out evil and allow opportunities for people to enter this city when they are ready, when they choose? I think it's an interesting vision that John gives us. Evil cannot enter, yet the gates are always open. Does that answer our question? No. <laughs> it's not an easy question to answer. But I think it gives us some reason to discuss. And I think it gives some ideas and some ability to talk about these things with people who read statements like we read from our other congregations and say, I can't worship a God like that. A God who would keep people out. And we'll talk more about that next week. Now, we can't really answer our original question, does God get what God wants, definitively. But I think there's another question we can't answer. And that question is, do we get what we want? And the resounding answer to that is, yes. We can choose new life. 
We can choose union with all people. We can choose union with the Lord of creation. Or we can choose separation. We can choose suffering. We can choose hell. Will God give up on us? I don't believe so. I don't believe that image that Jesus gives us of a God who's relentless will give up very easily. I think that God will continue to pursue us no matter what. And no matter what we believe, no matter what perspective we hold, that we, in the end, see a God who is making all things new. And I believe that we see a God who, in the end, proclaims that love wins. Amen. Next week, we conclude uh, our series talking about the parable of the prodigal son again in a little more detail and looking a little bit more on that question of how do we choose and how do we um, make that distinction. So let's transition now. Although the band's not in here yet, so uh, uh, we'll transition when they get in here. Uh, But let's transition uh, with a word of prayer as we move from our forming time to our forwarding time. Let us pray. Lord of love, creator of heaven and earth, send your grace upon us and fill us with your spirit. Make us a people of heaven's will. Help us experience heaven on earth. Lord, we ask that you make us one as you are one. Continue to challenge us to grow so that we may be ready for this age and the age to come. Help us to leave judgment in your hands so that we can offer peace and mercy to our neighbor. Help us share your love with all of those, those who are suffering, those who are ill, all of those who are oppressed, those who are paralyzed by fear. Allow us to serve those who lead and honor those who serve in all things. Help us remember that you gave your Son so that we might have new life today and always. And in his name we pray. Amen.